Today we are delighted to give honor where honor is due. That's what Paul told us in Romans 13. And we pause today just for one moment, just for one service. It's not very much really, but we celebrate 20 years of the Lehman's ministry at Capital Community Church. And what a wonderful 20 years it has been. 20 years is long enough to move from being married 10 years to being married 30 years. 20 years is enough time to move from celebrating birthdays in your 30s to celebrating birthdays in your 50s. 20 years is enough time to see your kids grow up and fall in love and get married and make you empty nesters. 20 years is enough time to grow a little gray hair, maybe gain a few pounds, make a lot of memories, and watch all of your friends do the same. We're so grateful today that 20 years is enough time to call a city your home and call a congregation your family. 20 years is enough time to entwine your life and entangle your emotions and engage your heart with the wonderful, beautiful, faithful people of God in ways that are actually quite difficult to convey in words. 20 years is enough time to see a campus rebuilt and a people revived. 20 years is enough time to watch lives and families and futures and eternities changed by the preaching of the word and by the power of the spirit. 20 years is enough time to laugh together around tables and dance together around altars and weep together around caskets. 20 years is enough time to say hello to cherished babies and say goodbye to precious saints. And 20 years is long enough to become not just pastor in title, but pastor in heart. And we are forever grateful for that. What a privilege it has been to have a front row seat to experience the ministry of Pastor Jack and Kathy Lehman here at CCC over the last 20 years. And what a wonderful decision we made one year ago when we installed them as our lead pastor. But make no mistake about it, they've been actually leading us every day over the last two decades. They've been an example of serving and sacrificing, of passion and compassion, of loyalty and love, of prayer and preaching, of following and leading. And you know now what I recognized more than 30 years ago when this young couple walked into my Bible college classroom right here in this city. They are people with delightful personalities. They're leaders with a proven track record. And they are Christians with sterling character. And this body of believers, we are unimaginably blessed to call them pastor. We really, really are. It's an honor to have Pastor Jack's parents with us this morning, to have their daughter Kristen home. I'm so grateful for Victor and Judy Lehman. I admired them from afar from the moment I met their son. You teach a lot of students in a Bible college classroom over a decade. You really do. But this man I picked out of the lineup 
and knew that someday, if the Lord would allow, I would love to work with him. I admired so much about him when he was still young. And so much is due to the investment, not only of his pastors, but of his parents. Thank you, Victor and Judy, for not just being church members, but for being integrally involved in that church. And Cart and Jack and his siblings around with you. He's told me many times how much it meant that he got to help you clean the church and be the last to turn out the lights and all of that. And we are beneficiaries of that early investment. We're forever grateful. Sister Kathy's parents are unable to be with us this morning. They were in town yesterday. We're so grateful for them. You have a pastor's wife who's a prayer warrior because her mom and dad were prayer warriors. And again, we are blessed and we are the beneficiaries of that early investment of truth and prayer and faithfulness. And if you are part of our church family and you have children or grandchildren, you would do your family a favor if you made sure that you too were investing in your church, not just attending your church. Oh, it's so different, but investing in your church, investing your time and your talent and your treasure because the other end of that story is a beautiful, beautiful one. We're grateful for Kristen and for Justin and their faithfulness to the Lord and now they're married and I noticed that a couple of dogs made an appearance in that video, and I'm not sure what to think about that, but hey, if you got sparklers, you can have dogs, right? You might not have noticed it because we just have church every week, but under the Lehman's leadership, this church congregation has invested in many men and women and sent them out to be a blessing to the apostolic movement around the world. Preachers and pastors, church leaders and church planters, aimers and missionaries, district officials, and as of last weekend, one of our district superintendents all have the Lehman's fingerprints on their lives and ministries. And so does everybody else in this room today. We owe them a debt of gratitude for 20 wonderful years. So here's where I need you to help me preach. And if you'll get with it, I'll go faster. Jeremiah chapter three and verse 15, the prophet spoke in a time of terrible trauma. One of the kingdoms had already fallen into captivity and the other kingdom was headed that way. And Jeremiah spoke in that terrible tumultuous time. And he said, here's the word of the Lord. I will give you pastors according to mine heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Because ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, a pastor is not just in some kind of auxiliary equipment for your life. A pastor is the voice of God in your life. And just like a pastor's voice could turn around Israel if they would listen, a pastor's voice can turn around our lives if we'll listen. 
Ephesians chapter 4 says perhaps one of the most dramatic and strong things about pastors. We call this the fivefold ministry. And God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And here's why God gave such a gift to the church. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's already been said this morning, but if a pastor is indeed one of God's great gifts to the body of Christ, and if a gift expresses the love that the giver of the gift has for the recipient of his gift, then God certainly must love CCC a whole lot. We are very blessed. But having a pastor, brothers and sisters, isn't a one-way street. A pastor isn't just our advisor or mentor or motivational speaker or life coach. A pastor is something else entirely. In both the Old and the New Testaments, the word for pastor has the sense of a shepherd, one who feeds and leads the sheep. Now, I won't belabor the point because I don't want to be offensive to you, but sheep are dumb animals. And the saints of God around the world in every church are compared to sheep. Sheep are not survivors. They are not strong. They are not independent creatures. They are definitely not proud hunters or fierce predators. You can take just about any other domesticated animal in the world and return it to the wild and it will stand at least a fighting chance of survival, but not sheep. You put a domesticated sheep back in the wild and you've just given nature a snack. That's what you've done. You've heard about the fight or flight instinct. Well, sheep, they can't do either. And that's why nobody in this room has a guard sheep to secure your property. Because all sheep can do when danger comes is flock together and hope the predator will pick somebody else. Because sheep are so defenseless, they're totally dependent on a shepherd to protect them. Sheep also can be quite directionalist. You can put them in a perfect pasture full of lush green grass, but sooner or later, they will wander off and get lost. And sheep can be just plain dumb. There are documented cases. Don't do this right now, but when you get home, you can look it up on the internet. Documented cases of not dozens, but hundreds of sheep running after each other off of a cliff to their death, ending up like a big puffy marshmallow at the base of the cliff in the absence of a shepherd. Sheep are always subject to danger. Without following a shepherd, the sheep cannot survive for long. David killed a bear and killed a lion while defending his father's flock because that's the kind of commitment it took to be a good shepherd. It wasn't a glorious occupation to be sure. Just long, lonely days and nights of burning heat and freezing cold, endless, tedious tasks, sometimes interrupted by moments of sheer terror when predators appeared. Shepherds were frequently subjected to extreme hazards and perils. And as Jesus told us in his comparison in John 10, sometimes good shepherds even gave their very lives for the sheep. As with all ministries anywhere in the body of Christ, Jesus Christ is our supreme example. He is the good shepherd 
Hebrews calls him the great shepherd and the chief shepherd is what Peter says. He's the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He's Jehovah Ra, which is the Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. And in John 10, Jesus continues on in this chapter and he, he uses himself as a pattern for shepherds as they defend the flock of God against its enemies. And there are many enemies of the people of God. There's the stranger, Jesus says, whose voice the sheep don't recognize. And because they don't recognize that voice, because it's not steady and constant and consistent, the sheep wander away. Jesus says there's the thief. He steals from the flock by stealth and cunning craftiness. There's the robber who steals from the flock by outward aggression and violent force. Then there's the hireling who leads the flock only for pay. And the moment danger comes, he's out of there. And then there's the wolf who devours and scatters the flock. He's the most fearful enemy of all. And Jesus said all of those enemies can be held at bay if you have a man with the heart of a shepherd. And that's why, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't work to just use your pastor as a part-time advisor or a temporary mentor or an occasional motivational speaker or some kind of auxiliary life coach. He is a shepherd. He has been called and appointed and anointed by God to lead and feed the sheep. And we are the sheep, those called to follow and be loyal to the shepherd. I love what my friend Bishop Wayne Huntley says. I don't know what the deal is with everybody my age becoming bishops all of a sudden. I love what he says. You can't be right with the master and wrong with the pastor. He's right about that. And the New Testament's very strong on this. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? Because they're watching for your soul as they that must give account. And you want them to be able to give account of your life and your service with joy and not with grief. And maybe the understatement of the New Testament for that is unprofitable for you. You will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and so will our pastor. But he won't just give an account of his own life. He'll give an account of your life too. And the writer of Hebrews tells us it will not go well for you and me on that day if we haven't obeyed and submitted to the spiritual leadership that God has so graciously placed in our life. Paul's favorite name for believers was brethren, and he uses it more than 60 times in his letters, 27 times in just the two letters he wrote to the Thessalonians. Paul sees God's church as a family, especially when it comes to local assemblies of believers like this one. And he sees that family as absolutely crucial to the birth and the growth of every child of God. And just like your family, it's actually absolutely crucial that God's family has good leadership. Pastor said something profound when he was up here. And in tears, he thanked all of us for helping them raise their children. There's a lot of weight in that statement. 
Do you understand that the best investment you could ever make in your kids, your grandchildren, your marriage, your family, your home, in every area of life is your rock-solid commitment and involvement in the local church? Paul tells us, as he writes to the Thessalonians, he says, you know, this is going to happen over time. There will be people who have labored among you in the past, but then the Lord will change the dynamic and he will place them over you. And he will give them the task of admonishing you. And the word admonish simply means to urge us to duty, to urge us to commitment, to urge us to involvement. And it will be their job to admonish us. And it will be easy to just kind of overlook it because these will be people who have faithfully labored among you, but now God has placed them over you. And he's invested in them an authority that you need to take heed to. So the question, not just for today, not just for this one special service out of 20 years, the question for every day is this. As a church member, as a child of God, how should I honor the spiritual leadership that God has placed in my life? Here's what Paul said. We beseech you, brethren. That's his term. He loves to call us brothers and sisters. And we beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you. And now they're over you in the Lord. And they admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Paul says you need to do these things with regard to your spiritual leadership, your pastor. First of all, you need to know them. You need to accept their authority and you need to honor their individual giftings. No two pastors, no two leaders are the same in the apostolic movement. And that's for a good reason because this is a body. And like your body, every member has a different function. And so we need to know them and we need to honor their individual giftings. And Paul says, and we need to esteem them. We need to uh, receive their counsel. We need to submit to their teaching. We need to esteem them very highly. We need to do that in love because they work hard for us. And finally, he says, and oh, by the way, you need to be at peace among yourselves. Don't cause problems that your leaders will have to handle. That's great advice. That would fix a whole lot of stuff. And then he says this, just in case you thought, well, great, we're just going to sit back and watch pastor do it and cheer him on. And then he says this. Now we exhort you, brethren. Now he's talking to the church. Warn them that are unruly and comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render for evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Having a successful church, having a revival church, having an apostolic church is not just the pastor's job. It is not just the staff's responsibility. That weight rests on every single one of us. If this is your church, you're either pushing us forward or dragging us backward. You can't be neutral on that. Every time you lift up your hands, you're pushing us forward. Every time you come to an altar, you're pushing us forward. Every time you invite a friend to a service, you're pushing us forward. Every time you witness 
witness or teach a Bible study or attend a prayer meeting. You're pushing us forward. It takes every one of us to do that. But Paul says, um, there will be some family members in the local church that will need some extra care because they're weak. And ministering to them is one important area where every one of us can help our pastor and bless our church at the same time. He says, you know, if somebody's unruly, warn them, take them out for coffee to Tim Hortons and say, you need to straighten up. It's in the Bible. I'm worried about you. I'm praying for you. I'm concerned about you. He says, comfort the feeble-minded. Now, that's probably not what you're thinking it is. It's people that are just overwrought and overcome with anxiety and fear and depression and, and comfort them and support the weak and be patient with everybody. And don't, don't ever, ever, ever return evil for evil. But just follow after everything that's good. Not just among yourselves, church family, but to all men. The greatest thing anybody in this church could do is to be a light outside this church building in this city. We're so thankful for all of you and so proud of all of you. And Pastor and Sister Kathy and the team led us... Uh, Eric sent off a little note today. They're doing their wrap-up today. And Hospice Fredericton was absolutely thrilled and excited that we raised $5,000 for such a worthy organization in our own city. That's when the church gets to be the church. A yard sale for Ukraine that brings a whole lot of visitors onto campus and some of them just want to walk through the building because they didn't even know we were here. And some of them haven't been here for a long time and they hadn't seen it all new. And it's that. It's busy bees where we've got a hundred moms and little toddlers in the building playing on the playground. That's being the church. This is wonderful. I love this. I stood over there this morning, hands in the air and tears flowing down my face. And that was before we got all soppy and sappy. I just like worshiping God. I was so glad to be here. But this isn't all. Because we got a city full of people that need exactly what you're enjoying this morning. And the greatest thing we can do for pastor is to just reach out, not just among ourselves, but to all men. So our job as saints, if I could just say it in my way of saying things, our job as saints is to do everything we can to make the local church a no-drama zone so pastor can just do what God's called him to do. Acts chapter 6, Pastor Terry Schock mentioned this this morning. This happened in the New Testament church. It could have derailed the New Testament church, actually. Because the leaders, it was all new to them. They didn't have structure. They didn't have internet. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have uh, staff. They didn't have anything. And so the 12 apostles are just trying to, to just do everything and minister to everybody and counsel everybody and pray for everybody and help everybody. And it was just too much. And they were starting to self-destruct. And so the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them. And they said, it's not sensible, it's not reason 
that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not that we're too good to serve tables. It's not even that we wouldn't want to serve tables. What you don't understand is sometimes doing all those menial things is actually quite relaxing for us. But it's not sensible that we should leave the word of God. When pastor steps to this pulpit, we want him to have a word from God. When pastor steps to this pulpit, we want him to have the time to hear from God. And we want him to preach the word without fear or favor. And so everything we can do to take everything else off his plate and off the plate of the team, say, but we've got staff. Yes, we do. You have no sweet clue how much there is to do in a place like this and a campus this size every week. Staff is wonderful, but we can burn out staff really, really quickly if we just make them do everything. And furthermore, if we do that, you don't get to invest in your church and raise your kids to invest in your church and see your little grandchildren invest in your church. So it's really, really important. Twelve called the multitude and they said, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So brethren, here's what we need. We got to do this. If the church is going to go any further, grow any bigger, we've got to do this. Brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And if you'll do that, we'll be able to give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And it must have worked, brothers and sisters, because you skip down three more verses and it, the Bible says, and the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly and even a great company of Jewish priests were added to the faith. So it must have worked and it will work again and it will work again. Once any church moves past the Acts 6 roadblock, revival and growth and harvest and the supernatural is absolutely inevitable. And that's why the greatest thing you can do for your church is to throw yourself with abandon into everything that pastor's leading us to do and to allow him to pray. So what we need is some people that are uh, honest I hope you're honest. We need you to be full of the Holy Ghost. And we need you to not be dumb. Have some wisdom. That's it. It's pretty easy. It's amazing. Ryan, come help me. Back to Thessalonians and I'm done. Last scripture. Paul often ends his letters with either personal greetings or powerful exhortations. He gets downright excited when a local church gets into spiritual alignment. It's amazing. You know, that first century church, we talk about them a lot and we should. They were outmanned, outgunned, outnumbered, under-resourced, underfunded. They should not have survived the first century. It's a logical impossibility that the, the apostolic church actually made it alive out of the first century. The empire that controlled the world had declared them public enemy number one and promised to exterminate them the way they had exterminated their founder, the Lord Jesus. That's what they thought. But you can go to the city of Rome today 
And I promise you, nobody is standing reverently at the grave of a Roman emperor because we don't even know where their bones were buried. But you can go to the city of Rome today and you can walk around the rings of the Roman Colosseum and you can look at a building that is dedicated to Jesus Christ. That's true. It was done in the Middle Ages. That building was a place where your brothers and sisters shed their blood as martyrs near the end of the first century. And today where the emperor used to sit, there's a cross sitting in his royal box because the empire's gone and the church prevailed. Outmanned, outgunned, outnumbered, underfunded, under-resourced, and they turned the world upside down because they bought into the vision that Jesus had given to the apostles and the apostles gave to them. And so Paul, he's just told us in 1 Thessalonians 5, the last chapter, he just told us, brethren, know them that labor among you and are over the, you in the Lord and Honor those that are admonishing you. Do what they say. Follow their leadership. And esteem them very highly in love because they're working for you. They're helping you. And be at peace among yourselves and help the church and you know, warn the unruly and comfort the feeble-minded. He's done all of that. And then Paul just takes off because he loves to close his letters with little exhortations. One-liners, you could call them. And after he said all of that, and he's, he's talking about getting a church in spiritual alignment, God called, God anointed, God appointed leadership, and a church that sold out to obeying and submitting and following and getting involved and invested. And then he just launches. This is what happens in churches like that. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. You get a church in spiritual alignment, you won't be able to quench the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. You want to see spiritual gifts operate? Let's get ourselves in spiritual alignment with the vision of our pastor because it'll happen. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Pay close attention to your pastor and his godly wife. And watch how they live and watch how they lead and watch how they act. And use them as a model. Instead of some stupid model on an internet website. Just use them as a model. And the very God of peace will sanctify you wholly. Paul said, I'm praying that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is the one who called you. He's the one who's going to do it. And then he says, brethren, I just got one request. I don't have anything to ask you for, really. I just got one request. Just pray for us. That's my prayer for all of us. That's my dream for CCC as we look toward the next 20 years and beyond. That's a dream. That we would be such a people of prayer, such a people of worship, such a people of involvement and investment. The pastor just needs to stand here and just point, and we're already on the way. He just needs to stand here and cast about a half a sentence of vision, and somebody's got it, and they're running. 
There are all kinds of churches where pastors have to work strategically and strenuously every week to overcome resistance and reluctance. That's not what the first century church was. They didn't lean back. They leaned in. That's who I want to be. That's how I want to spend my days. I want to lean ahead. I want to be an early adopter and adapter. I want to lean in. We talk about the wonderful, faithful saints of God. Behind your back. Yes, we do. We're talking about Brother Phillips the other day. We suffered a great loss as a church and he suffered a huge loss as a husband when we said a fond farewell to Sister Dorothy Phillips. But we just talk about his worship all the time. You know, he's actually said he likes the music they do up here. I don't even like most of the music they do up here anymore. But I love to see young people worshiping God and singing their heart out. And furthermore, it's my church. It's our church. So as long as it's glorifying Jesus and I'm not bleeding from my eardrums, I'm good. Turn it up. There's a slogan we banter around in the office. If it's too loud, you're too old. I'm living to regret introducing that quote to the team. Brother Phillips, every time you rise to your feet and those hands get going, it pushes us forward, Elder. Thank you for that. You're far from the only one, but you're a good one, and we love you. That's how you build great churches. Brother Larry, turning that thing around and pushing it to the altar time after time after time when every step is agony for you. That's how you build good churches. That's how you build great churches. Jason keeping the homeless in front of us. That's how you build great churches. That's how you build great churches. We have so much more than the first century church had in every way. Buildings and technology and privileges and perks. If we could ever push that button of involvement and investment for every one of us, it would turn this place inside out, upside down, pack it to the gunnels and impact an entire city. What do you say we do that in the next 20 years? What do you say we just throw caution to the wind? They've been telling us to be cautious for over two years. I'll be cautious when I'm walking along the edge of the Grand Canyon. I'm done being cautious at church. 
I love this place. I love everybody. Wouldn't do a thing to hurt anybody. We're going to honor your personal space and all of that. But we need this. We need this. Pastor and Sister Kathy, I'm going to ask you to just come out here. And we're going to all come to the altar this morning because the greatest thing we could do for this man and this woman of God that lead us is not sit back and cheer them on. It's to get in the trenches with them and be praying with them in prayer service and be amen when he's preaching and be teaching home Bible studies right along beside of them and, and to be involved in everything that he tells us we need to be involved in. If God's speaking it to him, he's our shepherd that means God's speaking it to us. You either believe it or you don't. It's in the Bible. Folks, just come right here. We're not really coming to lay hands on them. We're just coming to the altar. Because there's nothing that these two like better than watching God's people, this church family, all of you get in the altar. And we need you in the altar anytime, any preacher, anywhere, any style of ministry, any length of service any length of sermon if they say let's come to the altar we need to be beating those chairs out of order just to get to the altar we need that brothers and sisters would you lift up your hands where you are would you give great honor and praise to the Lord where you are but know that we're going to prepare to come to the altar in just a moment we're not just celebrating 20 years we're prophesying the next 20 years. And just like this group of people doesn't look the same as it did 20 years ago, it's not going to look the same in another 5 or 10 or 20 years because God is going to continue to add to the church. But I want to be right in the middle of all of that. I want to be part of that. I want to be a catalyst for that. And I believe there's multiple people in this room so I'm going to ask you to leave where you're standing. Brother Larry's already on his way. I want you to get into this altar as close as you can to the front. Pack into the middle. Get out of the aisles so everybody can come. And I just want you to throw up your hands. And I want you to pray over our church. Pastor was uneasy about today because it celebrates them. But in celebrating our pastor, we're celebrating our church. In celebrating our church, we're celebrating the city God's called us to reach. In celebrating our city, we're engaging in the Great Commission. And the Great Commission can turn lives around and change destinies and change eternities. Keep coming, everybody. I, I just, just, we, we need to use this altar space. Just keep coming a few steps there's still people in the aisles now lift up your voice with your hands this church knows how to pray this church knows how to pray what a beautiful sight this is this is exactly what we need elders and young people and new believers and established saints just everybody pushing with us Everybody locking in to what our man of God is telling us and what he's hearing from the Lord. 
outside of your relationship with the Lord Jesus, your local church is your most important spiritual commitment. It's what helps you shape your family. It's what helps you shape your marriage. It's what helps you shape your kids and your grandkids. There's nothing more important than this. Oh, thank you, Jesus, and thank you, church. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, church. Now just reach over, put your hand on somebody's shoulder or take their hand and lift it up. And let's close this service by praying for each other, with each other. We're good for the music for a minute, Ryan. Thank you. Let's hear those voices, church.